rocking out here. Thursday, October 21st. Geeked up again, Guy Adami. I'm here with Dan Nathan, and this is the Market Call. At 11 a.m. Eastern Time, every Thursday, we break down a macro call, highlight the biggest analyst calls of the week. We have the new best segment, in my opinion. We call it trade-off. And, of course, we got Butters, JB's, one for the road. Joining us now each week. Yes, you heard it each week, the great CBW. That's Carter Braxton Worth from Worth Starting. Today's episode of Market Call is brought to you by our presenting sponsors, FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by, of course, tomorrow, and Open Exchange, Dan, because they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Oh, my God. Paul Tudor Jones is a legend in my world. And let's get right into it because he was on CNBC yesterday. Inflation, Carter, could be much worse than feared. Billionaire hedge fund manager Paul Tudor Jones said, talk to me about my man PTJ, CB Dubs. Well, I mean, it's it's the single biggest subject perhaps in the market. And what's so not ironic, but what's so telling is for every person that's quite certain that inflation is a problem, there are others that are quite certain that we remain in a deflationary or disinflationary environment, whether it's from demographics or productivity, and that basically you're never going to get anything but short-lived bouts of inflation. Well, yeah, it's out there. But Dan, you know, I'm a Dr. Doolittle fan, and there was an animal, I think it was like, called a push-me-pull-you and I mentioned that because the pull you side of this is a, is a thread by Gavin Baker, who said, you know what, maybe things are resolving themselves, Dan, and this sort of falls into what you've been saying for a while. Yeah, listen, who, who the heck am I to kind of take a look at what Paul Tudor Jones is saying? He's been doing this like really well for 40 years, and he is a macro investor, and he uses all sorts of inputs to kind of help inform his investment and trading strategies. And the guy is obviously a genius. It just seems like very consensus, though. Um, what he's saying is that because we've had these disconnects because of the pandemic and prices are higher and supply chains are broken, that they're going to remain that way. And I take the other side of that. I'm not telling you I'm betting against Paul Tudor Jones, but when you talk about wage inflation is one of the main major inputs, and that is having problems as you think about some of the shipping and the and the trucking and the rails and all this sort of stuff that goes from once we get the product to our shores. I get it, but you know what? Two years ago, pre-pandemic, all we could talk about was automation and you know, and what that was gonna do to wages. And when I look at Gavin, Gavin's a great tech investor. We know Gavin, um, a treaties management or capital management um, genius investor. I like the fact that he's bringing up the CEO of Flexport, which is um, you know a logistics company, saying that we might be by this at some point. And if we're macro investing or investing at all, we just wanna know what the other side of the coin might be. Well, right now, the S&P 500 CBW is telling the story that, you know what, all this is going to sort of go away because as we sit here, we have the S&P bouncing up against levels that we last saw many months ago, that all-time high. I mean, I look at this chart and say we're banging up against the top, but, you know, we seem to have once again thwarted the 50-day moving average. We didn't come close to the 200-day. What are your thoughts here, Carter Braxton? What's quite remarkable is this exact setup, those lines drawn, are seen across the market. You're seeing them in individual securities, you're seeing it in Bitcoin or Tesla, big names, small names, all having had meaningful sell-offs up to 20, 30%, and now equally meaningful recoveries back to the level from which the sell-off began. And so um, one thing to note is where the S&P is in relation to its high, but also where the equal weight S&P is and other indices. 
Well, let's take a look at the equal weight because I think that tells, you know, a similar story. I mean, you look at this, you put both of those together, what's it telling you in your crystal ball? Right. So there are two ways to interpret it. The, the, the traditional or conventional way would say, well, if the equal weight is actually making new highs, that speaks to the market breadth, right? Because the S&P 500 is so cap weighted towards a handful of big names. We, we know those names. Uh, Fang and MAGA, uh, that they um, they drive everything. And so if the equal weight, where each stock is given an equal weight of the 500, is outperforming the actual weighted index, that means there's breadth, there's broad participation. At the same time, there's another way to interpret that. If your champions don't come to life, it doesn't matter what the equal weight will do. And uh, that's important because the champions basically will drive the real direction of the market. And that's breath with a D before the TH. And we're going to talk about Facebook in a little while, Dan. But the NDX, obviously, that seems to be your baby. That's the one that you sort of gravitate towards, Dan. Well, that's Nathan. a good segue, Guy, from what Carter was just saying when you think about it. Because those champions that he's talking about, those top five names or six names, make up 50% of the weight of this index of 100 stocks here. And I do think it's worth noting that you know he just showed the S&P where those same five or six names make up about 25%, that it is right back at those prior highs, the equal weight has already broken out here. We'll look at the NDX. It's still below um, those prior highs. I mean, maybe that's just one good day. We're going to get into the FMAGA earnings over the next couple of weeks. And we really know that how they go, if they were all to go together, then you're going to have a move significantly, either a breakout or a retest of a couple of weeks ago lows. Now, the chance of them all going together is not particularly great, but it could be the sign if there were some fundamental reasons why one or two might be kind of giving up some of the momentum that they have or the earnings deceleration or the margin degradation is greater than expected, then they could all go the, uh, the same way lower. To me, it's kind of in a range, I think, as Carter would say, it's kind of no man's land here a little bit in the NDX. It, yeah, no question about it. You know, I look at this in the 50-day moving average. We've, we've gone through it a couple different times. Seems to be a head fake each time. That 200-day comes in right around the 14,000 or so level. You can do the math in terms of a per percentage move to get there. And maybe as we get into the sort of the earnings of the, the these champions, the five names that have driven us, maybe it'll be telling a much different story. What has been telling a really um, peculiar story, though, has been the small caps and the RUT and the Russell 2000 here. Again, we've talked about this, Carter, for a while, about the fact that this huge run-up in the fall of last year, only then to go sideways literally since February, January, if you really want to get back to it, and here we are getting in a more, more narrow range. You look at this and you say, forming a bit of a pennant, it needs to break out one way or the other. What are your thoughts on the RUT? Well, the first thing is even, and the lines are excellent uh, that we have here on the chart, but it's really, it's this, that at any given time, right, uh, current price action is a reaction to preceding price action. And you highlighted it, that steep uncorrected advance of the October, March period, right? when it was literally surging, it was a risk on period and the big sort of MAGA names were resting, the spread actually uh, uh, registered was the widest ever seen, uh, going back to 1978 between small and large. And so this sideways action is one of two things. It's the pause that refreshes after a great run, you rest, or it's the stall before the storm. In many ways though, and there's no way around this, it doesn't really matter because the total market cap of the Russell 2000 is 3.5 trillion, Apple itself is 2.5. No, that's fair. And I look at this, Carter, and just quickly, I'm, I'm curious as to your thoughts. The last time we had sort of these moving averages, 
the 50-day and the 200-day crossing was in August, I believe, of 2020 or so, and you saw the subsequent move. And it appears as though right now we have a similar uh, situation setting up. Am I looking at this correctly or incorrectly? Well, I think it, it's there's nothing to actually look at here. I would say it this way. It is a pair of twos. It's a moment of equilibrium. And good technique, as simple as it might sound, is go with it as it starts to move. And so if and as it strengthens, make the bet that it breaks out. If and as it starts to falter, one could say, wait a minute. So you like it if it goes up and you don't like it if it goes down. Sometimes it's as basic as that. <laughs> pair of twos, I love that. Well, you know what's now a pair of aces has been this move in yields. And we have treasury yields as we're sitting here. I think about 1.66 or so percent in the 10-year. And I'm curious to both your thoughts. Dan, you know, we've talked about this for a while. You were spot on in the spring. You thought yields would ratchet back down to 1%. And effectively, they got there. I think they got down to 1.11 or so. And since then, we've seen this move. We're at this trend line now, Dan. I think you think we're going to fail. I have other thoughts. But what are you, what are you looking at here in the U.S. 10-year? Well, it really comes down to the growth expectations. And we know that Q3 GDP growth expectations have gone from like six, seven, eight percent by some economists down to basically one percent over the last, you know, three or four months or so. And when you think about just the issues that we have near term, whether it's transitory or not, whatever your definition of that is, so you have higher prices and you have slower growth. The whole idea of stagflation is a really troubling sort of thing. If you want to raise rates or start to taper bond purchases to kind of stave off higher prices is that's fine but that's not great in the face of slowing growth right and so if we sit here we're a bunch of gray hairs here you know we can remember some difficult periods of times where the fed have kind of lost control or you would say guy kind of lost the script here i don't know man maybe they break out above this uh downtrend it definitely i know carter's going to say that one way or another if it were to come in back to one five as a 10-year u.s treasury yield tension is building right and you might say that one way or another we're going to have a significant move i think guy you think higher because you think the fed has just lost the script here a little bit um to me i think that the bond market was saying in the spring when rates were really high and then they started going lower that the fed had it right and now they're saying the fed has it wrong it's interesting and i'm carl i want to hear your thoughts but i think in the spring and you, you're alluding to this dan the spring the move in yields was because they, everybody thought the economy was going to reopen in a gangbusters way and now i think yields are going higher because prices are out of control. CBW, break the tie here for us. Right, so he here's how I would say, and the lines are excellent, but what I would do is like white out, in this case, since it's a black screen, I'd black out that move, right, in the spring that got us to 177, and the symmetrical move collapsing back to 1-2. And if you're just to follow the green trend line, if we had never overshot and then checked back, we're kind of on trend. But what we are, of course, is at the top of the trend. I think yields back away here. I like what you're doing there. Well, obviously, you know, everything is predicated to a large extent off what the dollar does. Carter, you brought, I, I just, can I just look at this for a second without talking? Because it's like staring at the Mona Lisa, like you see something new every few seconds. Talk to me about this dollar chart because it is a thing of beauty. A lot of blues, a lot of yeah, reds. It's, it's wonderful. It's, it's exactly right. It's, it's like paint by color. It's handsome. It's very symmetrical. The reference points are clear. And so then say, okay, great. What's your judgment, up or down? That's a little harder. But what we do know, and I, I think is that consensus is that dollar is going higher. It's been that way. And the dollar has had a strong period. But more important than the period that it's just experienced is the level to which it's climbed. And that is a difficult level. And I think the dollar actually doesn't have a big directional move here and gets stuck 
just where you see that green line drawn. It's interesting. Next weekend is Halloween, and you know I call things a witch's brew. Well, if rates continue to go higher, and if the dollar effectively has stopped going up and starts going down, that to me is a witch's brew. And it's all led to what Dan has been spot on about. You know, I think Brian Kelly is sort of the OG, or what, they, what does that mean, OG, Dan? Like original gangster, but you're not far behind on the Bitcoin front. And here we are, all time highs. No, I, I'm very far behind on it. Listen, I am not one of these guys who's just been kind of like all in on the whole concept of crypto assets and specifically as it relates to cryptocurrencies. But I get why it exists. And I get also one other fact, the smartest people that I know in finance are really focused on this and very few of them have been naysayers even in the face of this you know kind of recent dramatic move that we've had over the last year and a half and i would also say that about some of the smartest people i know in tech and if you put those people together the fin and the tech this is where they're focused on this is a two and a half trillion dollar asset class and going back to what carter said about the russell 2000 being relatively insignificant at three and a half trillion because apple one security is two and a half trillion i look at this and say there's asymmetric upside potential here. I'm not saying to buy it when it's up 100% in you know two months or anything like that. This is really interesting. How it acts at that prior all-time high is going to be really important. We know that there's been a bunch of catalysts. There's kind of all these um, ETFs that are um, going to be futures-based that are on the docket for the SEC to prove. One started trading this week. Maybe it's a bit of a psychological top near term. Maybe we need a back and fill a little bit. But to me, I've been in Ethereum, um, a little Bitcoin. I really like what's being built on Ethereum. Um, Bitcoin to me as a very specific kind of existence. And I like the broad nature of Ethereum, but I like the thesis in general for the whole crypto space. Carter, you came on Fast Money, I believe in uh, March of this year, and you were talking about the potential for Bitcoin to trade down to 20,000 and almost to the penny, as they say, that effectively happened. So to a large extent, mm -hmm. I think the technical work you do, you could probably do for Bitcoin. Are you looking at anything here? I mean, I know the obvious uh, assertion is a bit of a sure. double top, but is that too simple? Yeah. Well, going back to what you said prior, I mean, Bitcoin didn't get the 20. I mean, I, I'm pleased with the sell-off, but it didn't meet the objective. And at the time, when it started rallying, uh, you know, kind of stuck with the thesis that it would go lower. And obviously, uh, what was a good trade stayed too long. What's the equal and opposite moment? That critical breakdown, you can see it on the chart, 30,000, 30,000, 30. It held. It didn't break. Well, when you get to a critical level, it's how you behave at that level. We've got the equal and opposite circumstance now. We're back to a prior high. And in principle, before you can move below, break down, or break out above a prior lower high, you get stuck there. And it's exactly what happened in June, July, and August at the 30,000 level. So at a minimum, one would expect a lot of backing and filling or backing away before ultimately being able to exceed the high of April. You know, Dan is a pretty hip guy, and our first call revolves around something that Dan's done recently, Credit Suisse upgrading Ford. I think they must be watching Fast Money as well, because we've talked about this for a while. And finally, the stock seems to be getting some traction. You can read what they're saying here, but I think they people, the market is undervalued, obviously, Ford's EV. I think they're also undervaluing the fact that under Jim Farley, uh, their CEO, Ford seems to have figured it out. The average price target on the street in Ford is basically – Sixteen and a half dollars. I've said for a while on Fast Money this should be sort of a seventeen and a half dollar stock. Again, you don't want to buy these names on valuation, but it should not be trading less than half of a market valuation. And we can talk about this. We can look at the chart, Dan Nathan. But you bought a Ford Mustang. Let's take a look at Ford. Um, what are your thoughts on this call? Because the trend line 
and the uptrend seems to still be intact here. Yeah, you know, and I bought a Ford Mustang Mach-E, a fully electric vehicle, and I put the order in for that, I think at least a year and a half ago when they announced it, because, you know, part of my view very simply is that all of these um, incumbent car makers, whether they're here in the U.S. or whether they're in Japan or in Europe, I mean, this is where all of them are going. And, you know, we spent so much time talking about Tesla. And yes, it is a $900 billion market cap, and no one in their wildest dreams could have conceived of that in 2021, okay, just a year or two ago and most of those gains have literally come in the last two years so to me if you want to place that sort of valuation on a car company that has less than five percent of the global market share but obviously a very high percent of evs i'm betting with my wallet and my foot on the pedal here that there's others who are going to be able to partake in this and if you're telling me this stock at 10 times earnings because their margin structure is much lower than uh than tesla you know i just don't believe that this company with a $65 billion enterprise value should be valued the way it is if they have the plan to do what I think they're going to be able to do in EVs. That's my take. I'm with Credit Suisse. I'm with the other bulls on Ford here. Have at it, people, is what Dan would typically say. A little longer-term chart tells a different story, though, CBW. That's right. In fact, Ford right now is trading the same price it was in 1987. And so <laughs> what do we do? Meaning, we haven't a judgment being rendered by a major broker dealer, Credit Suisse, saying the stock is worth 20. Morgan Stanley says it's worth 11. Now, how can that be? Two equally bright people with all the same resources, they all have balance sheets, income statements, they can pick up the phone, they can study the EV market, study. And how do you get one man, one woman saying it's worth 11 and one saying it's worth double that? I'd say just stick with the chart. The last chart we had up there was bullish. It looks like it's going to break out. The long-term issue is, is this a cyclical business that you've got to trade well? And yes, because if you're the same price you were in 1987, it's not an investment. You can call it something, but you can't call it investment because adjusted for inflation, you've lost 70% of your margin. That's fair. And, you know, the, the obviously the one that everybody's been looking at, especially over earnings since yesterday and the subsequent move is Tesla. And if you watch CNBC's Fast Money, which Carter appears on regularly, which is a very hard word for me to say, but... You know, we've been saying for a while that we thought 900, that prior high, that $900, oh, and 40 cents, by the way, back in January, I guess, was in the crosshairs. And I think we traded up to Dan, 897 or so today. What are your thoughts on a Tesla? Yeah, this is pretty fascinating. We were talking about it last night on the show as the numbers was coming out here. And, you know, the numbers were fine. The stock had had a big run up into it. And again, it's nearly a trillion dollar market cap. And there's only four other companies in the U.S. that have trillion dollar market caps. And all of a sudden, this one's up there. And whatever, I mean, it just seems divorced of any sort of reality as it relates to fundamentals. Because the valuation stuff, you just can't make a case for it. But that's not why you're buying this stock. Listen, it's getting a bit extended. I know you guys are going to say ding 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 double top is coming here um but this stock has been defying gravity for a while i do think it's important to remember though as good as some of the bulls feel about it right now they didn't feel great about it back in late spring when the stock had gone from 900 um to about 550 dollars. so it's important to remember that stocks like this prices will fluctuate yeah and carter i you know i submit every once in a while or posit as i as i might want to say that these moves exhaust themselves on big volume days and, and i've said for a while that i think you might see in fact post earnings that do exactly that exhaust itself at 900 dollars on a three or four times volume day which we may be on track for today what are your thoughts in so. tesla here 
Well, interesting. If you look at the Ford uh, setup, the presumption is it will break out. Tesla, I don't think so. Ironically, of course, the high was 900 spot 25, and here it is 900 even. We are right on that red line, and uh, you've got the news. It's out. I think you back away here. I, if I had a position, I'd trim it. Yeah, I, th I agree with you on that one. Facebook, we have to talk about, look, and I've said on CNBC's Fast Money literally for years that I hate everything about Facebook. Reprehensible is the word that I use. And somebody put on Twitter yesterday, what should the new name be? And it should start with an A, they said. Yeah, I said, well, if that's the case, it should be abhorrent. Can't spell it, but I know it starts with A-B. With that said, Monday after the bell, earnings on deck. I think the average price target's around 421 or so. He had this huge move down to 325, all self-inflicted wounds. My concern for Facebook all along has been that they're in 250 or so ETFs or mutual funds. And if somehow uh, those mutual funds take them out, Facebook, for ESG reasons, it's going to be a death knell. That's the existential risk. We can take a look at the chart in earnings. I actually think it sets up pretty well, though, uh, Dan. Yeah, well, it's interesting that the news this week was that they're going to rebrand. They're going to change their name. They think that they'll help with, you know, just some of the bad press that they've had. It seems like nonstop for the last few years. But to your point, Guy, not liking kind of the company's mission and maybe some of their products, the stock has been just a monster and nearly a trillion dollars in market cap, um, too. So you can't stop it. When you think about it, it, you know, for a whole host of reasons, the stock is actually, you know, it's up 25% of the year. It's underperformed some of its peers. You know, um, PE to growth, it's trading pretty cheap. Uh, you know, if you look at the last few years, so there definitely seems to be some hesitation. Um, you know, 5% implied move the next day after earnings next Tuesday, that's in line with the average move over the last um, four quarters. And that seems pretty fair. I'll just make this one point because we've had two really big tech companies in the NDX report this past week. Tesla, like we said, it was trading down a little bit, had a big run into its number. Now it's up the next day. Netflix, the same thing, had a huge run into its number. People were a little disappointed with the Q4 guidance traded down a little bit now it's up two days later it seems like these stocks are bid i'm going to tell you a little something before we logged on to do this i'm long some short dated q puts and i sold them out and i'm looking at that price action when the news isn't great and the stocks are going up two days later it feels like the ndx or the names in it want to power a little bit higher yeah carter we look at this i look at this what sticks out to me on that shorter term chart is the fact that we traded down to the 200 day a number of times and held this longer term chart tells a very similar story what are your thoughts here on facebook that's exactly right so it's a sell-off of a certain magnitude 17 percent from the peak to the trough and is it weakness to take advantage of or is it weakness to stay away from i think it's the former meaning if garp exists what it looks like is this a good uptrend that then you experience a give back, a sell off, a dip, a correction that prov provides you an opportunity to get long. Trading below a market multiple, I think you do it. Well, before we get to our friend, Mr. Butters, who, by the way, we're going to make extraordinarily famous. That is my goal in 2022. <laughs> we have a uh, back by popular demand. We have something we're calling the trade off. And Carter Braxton Worth is uh, bearish on Moderna. And well, you know what? He's been spot on, by the way. Dan bullish on Pfizer. Dan, Nathan, I'm going to start with you on the Pfizer. Pfizer really lucky. 38 to 45 seemingly for the last few years, but you think there's something going on here. 
Yeah, I picked this one on a few occasions here and on my segment that I do weekly with Fidelity and in the money, you know, I had a bullish defined risk way to play Pfizer for a bounce. Um, you know, let's just talk about just the fundamentals here. I mean, this is a cheap stock, you know, you know, Carter just mentioned, you know, growth at a reasonable price. There's not a heck of a lot of growth right now because it's decelerating. They've had this huge boom from the, you know, vaccines right here. But I think the booster news, I think the boosters are going to be in, I think they're going to be in the numbers for a long time here. I think this stock's cheap. I know it's bounced a little bit of late. It bounced off of a good level here. Um, I'd much rather play Pfizer on the long side and play for a move back to the high 40s um, than taking a look at Moderna for a whole host of reasons. And I actually saw Carter's note on Moderna earlier in the week, and I agreed with it, but I do like Pfizer going the other way. Yeah, I, you know what? I'm with you on that one. CBW, you saw the Pfizer chart, but Moderna's, not, Moderna's telling a much different story here. Um, right at this trend line, are we going to break it? Because it certainly appears that way right now. Well, that's right. And, and the importance of a level can never be underestimated. You get great moves from great levels. That's what breakouts are and what breakdowns are. And so this is an, an epic level. And one could say, okay, great, but why doesn't it bounce again? So that gets into the more granular. The day-to-day -day price action uh, the day-to-day -day relative strength, the price volume correlation, all has a tilt to the negative side. And so the thinking here is that it won't be as lucky as it's been the last five times where it's touched that trend line to the penny, that this time, this bounce that we just saw is short-lived and we undercut trend. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. If it does break this trend line, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with some analyst calls. I think it was a few months ago, and forgive me if I'm wrong, please don't at me on Twitter, but I think it was a Jeffries analyst that put a $115,115 price target on Moderna when it was trading in the mid-400s. You obviously saw a pretty precipitous sell-off. You had a subsequent bounce. Um, now you're starting to see it on the decline again. It's going to be really uh, fascinating to see what happens to this stock if and when we break that trend line. Uh, Keep an eye out, folks, because I think both Dan and Carter could be right on this one. And let's get to Mr. Butters, because he provides us with some great insight. Dan, Carter, we call this, as you both know, one for the road, earnings growth, uneven global economic recovery. That's for sure. You have the have and the have nots. Dan, you look at this. What's it telling you? Because we need earnings growth in order for this market to continue higher. Yeah, it's a great point he's making here. And so thank you to John Butters again. He gives us a sneak peek of his Friday earnings insight that drops. So check that out, people. Um, you know, when I look at this and I say, listen, he's saying that companies with more international exposure are doing better right now. And we know why, because it has been uneven, the reopening, right? We reopened first. We also just, I mean, when you think about it, just the trillions of dollars that we threw at the pandemic relative to other other nations. So it's, you know, companies were buoyed here. We saw what happened to our economy. Yeah, we had that shock in Q2 and Q3, but we came back kind of hard. So if the rest of the world is coming back hard a little slower or a little later, then that's going to benefit our multinationals. So definitely look for that exposure with international exposure. But the other point I just mentioned is that dollar. If you start to see the dollar strengthening and our interest rates going higher, that would hurt the ability for, you know, margins, I think, overseas, because, you know, ultimately you'll have the dollar um, strength kind of eating into that a little bit. You know, Carter, a lot of people like to paint you with a single brush. I think they make a huge mistake. You are a pretty face, but you're not just a technical <laughs> analysis -ist person. Well, you can get into the right. weeds here. So talk to me about sure. this. Earnings growth is important. Sure. I mean, I started as a fundamental analyst, but I just, I think, saw the wisdom of charts and never put those Qs and Ks on my desk again, got rid of them. But let's talk about the basic fact that there are only two ways 
the stock market goes higher. It's earnings growth or multiple expansion. And so looking out over the coming 12 months, if and as rates go higher, you're highly unlikely to get multiple expansion. We've also had tremendous earnings growth for quite some period now. So are we really gonna start having easy comps and a lot more earnings growth going forward? So if you don't have particularly robust earnings growth, which is one way the market goes higher, and you don't have multiple expansion, another way, or some blend of the two, what then, and this gets to the long-term cycle thinkers like a Jeremy Gratham, what then is the prospect for the market being meaningfully higher on a forward 12 to 18 month basis? It's a great question. And I think, Dan, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that Dan brought up the dollar because if he didn't, I was. We obviously saw that chart, that beautiful Mona Lisa that Carter brought. It appears as though the ascension of the dollar stopped for now. But if that U.S. dollar gets back on its horse and gets through that 95 level, you got to really wonder about uh, the wrecking ball effect it has on the multinationals. But that's just my two cents. And I love John Butters. I call him JB because why the hell not? And anyway, Dan, any parting <laughs> thoughts before we thank our sponsors? Yeah, man, it was a bit of a ricochet over the last week, week and a half or so. And we really felt like we had a guy. We've been talking about that 200 day. We know Carter loves that 150 day. And it did actually catch some support, Carter, near your levels. And I think maybe next week we'll take a look at maybe the trade off next week, guy, is going to be the 200 day moving average versus Carter's 150 day moving average. So you got to tune in next week to figure that out. But I also also want to see how does the S&P, how does it act at those prior highs here? And can the NDX catch back up? Facebook earnings next week on Monday to get the week started is going to be a real good tell. Well, he sits on the Parthenon of, te of technicians, and that's Carter Worth. Thank you for joining us, CBW. And Dan Nathan is hip in his Ford Mustang EV. Dan, always a joy to join you. I mean, I love these things. And by the way, if you like the financial data and earnings content shared during this market call, subscribe to FactSet's Insight blog at insight.factset.com to access more great content. It is great content. Today's market call has been brought to you by our presenting sponsors, the aforementioned FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow, and of course, our friends at Open Exchange. And can I tell you something? They have become our friends. They manage the virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. We will catch you next Thursday, the final one in October. Later.